So uh, to all of my subscribers and listeners to the content that I produce, uh, what you're about to enjoy is something that, that we had, had no plans for. We didn't know this was happening until around about 48 hours ago. Um, and I produced a piece of content with my good buddy Omar. Well, what did we just it, do? It was a spare of the moment. We were trying to figure out how do we actually reach out to Tony Robbins and um, his publicist and just create something compelling. And it was just, we were just being ourselves. We just sent a heartfelt message, which they absolutely loved. Um, and that alone worked um, to, to get Tony Robbins here, which is unbelievable. And to get someone as cool as Tony Robbins to come and share their time with us, share absolutely. their story with us, moved by a simple video. Right. Okay, tells you, tells you a lot about him as a human being, doesn't right. it? Right. Okay. Literally, moved is the word that he used and his publicists used. They were moved by how genuine we were in the video because we were just being like little kids who were really inspired by someone. We, it just came from the heart. And without further ado, our latest interview is with the amazing, the exceptional Tony Robbins. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in to this very special episode where we are joined by a very special individual. He is a number one New York Times bestseller. He is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, life and business coach who has literally transformed and improved the lives of millions all across the world, including myself. In 1996, with a few pennies that I had left, I went and bought six CDs on this CD set three events later called Business Mastery and it really sunk in and I started to take action. And now I'm sitting on the back of building a company that's worth over a hundred million dollars. And it's all thanks to one big man who you have no idea we're excited to have in the studio today. <laughs> Mr. Tony Robbins. Thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome to Dubai Reporter yes, Studios. Thank you so, so much. Nice to thank, meet you. You so thank you so much. You're very excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. So a lot of people here in the Middle East, and we've come to find out that you've got a, a, a huge fan base that's actually growing every day. What's it like for you coming to the Middle East? What's your impression on that? Well, I can tell you Dubai specifically because I've come to Dubai and Abu Dhabi many times. Uh, I've had the privilege of getting to know, um, you know, Sheikh MBZ and, and Sheikh Tanoon and just to see what Bob Zayed built here, his vision. I, I always teach people in business, especially people say, uh, you know, I'm failing because I don't have the money or I don't have the time. Or I don't have the right people. Or I'm missing the technology. They'll always tell me I'm missing resources. But the most successful humans on earth had no resources, they were resourceful. They found a way to get the resources because they were able to generate the right psychology, the emotion, the action that can break through anything. If you're creative enough, you can find the answer. If you're determined enough, you can get through the problem. And this country is such a reflection of that. To see what's happened in a few decades from here, uh, you know, from 20 years ago when there's no running water basically here and buildings are two or three stories high to this playground of the Middle East. It's just mind-boggling. And I, I come here as much to learn as I do to teach. <laughs> <laughs> now, for, for those who don't know who Tony Robbins yes. is, it takes a little bit back. Who's Tony Robbins, your upbringing, where did you come from? Your childhood was, wasn't really that easy at all. In fact, there's something I'll ask you about later, something called High Waters. You had that nickname? <laughs> so if you can bring me back that. But tell, tell the audience here and tell uh, people in the Middle East, who's well, Tony I just, Robbins? I just grew up in a pretty tough environment. I grew up in what they now call the hood in Los Angeles, <laughs> if you know that area. Sure. And uh, it was a pretty tough environment. And then I had four different fathers within a short period of time. When I met my fourth father, I said, Mom, I'm confused. You know, how's this work? Um, uh, but really, uh, my mom was an extraordinary human being. She had this incredible loving heart, but she also drank alcohol and abused prescription drugs. And when she did, she became very violent. 
And um, so, she, you know, she would smash my head against the wall till I bled or pour liquid soap down my throat. I'm not saying that to be derogatory towards her because she did the best she could. Uh, and if she'd been the mom I wanted, I wouldn't be the man I'm proud to be. Because because of that, I became a practical psychologist, basically, when I was a kid. I have a younger brother, five years younger, sister, seven years younger. And I had to figure out how to manage her moods, where things were going. And then growing up so poor financially, we had no money for food at Thanksgiving, which is a big feasting holiday in my country. And um, as a result of that, as just one day, when I was 11 years old, somebody came, knocked on the door, opened the door, and they had all this food for us. It was a gift to my family. I still don't know who gave it to us. Uh, but I never forgot it, and it changed my belief when my father had always said, no one cares about anyone else. And I thought, strangers care. And if mm. strangers care about me, I care about strangers. And so at 11, I set this goal that I'm going to feed families when I turn 18. So when I was 17, I've had two families, and then four, and then eight. Eventually got to a million people a year, and now I fed 42 million people up until five years ago over the course of my life. And then I was writing this book, Money Master the Game. I'm interviewing all these multi-billionaires, Carl Icahn, Warren Buffett, you know, Ray Dalio, the best of the best. And my country cut food stamps, which is to support those who really need it, by $6 billion. It basically means every family needs help, has to give up a week's worth of food every month to survive unless the public, private sector steps in. So I called my office and said, how many people I fed? They said, 42 million. I said, what if I fed 50 million in a year? What if I fed 100 million? What if I fed a billion people over 10 years? And so I committed to that. And as a result of my upbringing, it's not because I'm such a good guy. I want to help. And so we fed a half a billion people in the last five years alone, half a billion meals in the U.S., and I'm actually, we're going to announce shortly, I can't announce it yet, but here in partnership with UAE, we're announcing a, an X prize to feed the next billion people worldwide. And I put up the initial money for that, and I'm being matched by the government here. Uh, and we're going to announce that soon in a really unique way that will affect the environment and also affect uh, the capacity to feed the poorest of the poor. Wow. Do you think, look, I've been to in many of your events, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of in with both feet, and I see you as, to me, a force of nature. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met anyone that has the impact that you have. I mean, you You're literally, you move me whenever I'm around you. You obviously have that impact on many people, and you have done for decades, <laughs> in an awful long time. Where do, you, where do you think that comes from? Do you have this just overwhelming desire to want to, want to try and shapeshift almost people, to get people to think differently so that they can be what they really want to be? I just hate to see people limited. I hate to see people suffering, suffering. I've suffered enough myself. I don't want anybody else to suffer. And I, I'm lit up by being able to see people really take control of their life. And we can't control everything, obviously. There are things beyond our control. But there's so much within our control that people give up because they're afraid or they don't want to fail or they're just pissed off or frustrated or overwhelmed or stressed. And so... Uh, what I've managed to do is to take fundamental principles that can change the way you think and the way you feel and the way you behave, your finances, your body, your emotions, your relationships. I've been obsessed for principles that can make that happen. But I'm pretty good at creating an environment where I create a community very quickly, where 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people are in a room for three or four days with me. And, you know, people who wouldn't sit for a three-hour movie because you know, someone spent $300 million on it, and you've been there. I have 15, 20,000 people there for 50 hours in a weekend. Yeah. And nobody leaves. They can vote with their feet, and they get their money back anytime they want. They don't. It's a stadium full of people who become alive. And there are different religions, different backgrounds, different belief systems, different sexual preferences, different political views. And yet we come together for a higher good. And to me, that's the most extraordinary experience. But there's an energy to it also because ideas, when people say knowledge is power, it's, it's a lie. Knowledge is not power. It's potential power. Mm -hmm. You know, execution trumps knowledge every day of the week. And my job is to get people to execute. And when you get people to execute, they get momentum. And when they get momentum, it's self-fulfilling, right? Okay, I know who I am now. I know what I'm capable of. And you tend to go to higher and higher levels of contribution, of impact, and of success. You, you motivate 
millions, if not hundreds of millions of people across the world. Who motivates Tony? I get inspired by the people I get to work with. I have so many people say that I'm their coach, you know, major captains of business and things like that. And, you know, uh, honestly, they're my coach just as much. I mean, if you know Salesforce.com, Mark Benioff's a perfect mm -hmm. example, right? Mark, dear friend of mine, I met Mark. He came to three of my seminars in a row. He stands out. He's almost tall as I am. He's in the front row going crazy the whole time. So at one point, he comes out and introduces himself to me. And he says, aren't you remember my name? He said, because I'm leaving today because of you, Oracle, where he worked. I'm going to start this new company called Salesforce.com. And he goes, and you're responsible. I want you to come on the journey with me. And I always tease him about this. He goes, we're going to do, we're going to change business. We're going to do a hundred million dollars in business. You know, now he's going to do, I think there's 12 billion this year, right? That right. Um, but it's been fun to go on the journey. And Mark is such a beautiful soul. And he's, he says, you know, he quotes it all the time. There would be no Salesforce without Tony Robbins. That is total BS. But I'm glad he says it. <laughs> it's nice for me. But what has happened is I learned from him. You know, we're both socially driven. We both think that business is a spiritual game, that it's about how do you add more value? How do you do more for others than anybody else in the marketplace? That's how you dominate. I have 54 companies now and 12 that I actively manage. We do have $6 billion in business. And this is my day job that I do, you know, 28, 28 or 18 countries and, you know, 92 cities in a year yeah. on top of it. So I've learned so much from the people that I'm supposedly coaching. I'm not dumb enough to think I'm the only teacher there. I heard that there was a, a number of calories that you burn when, in, in a whole yes, day when you yes. talk. I'm burning right now in the kitchen room. <laughs> <laughs> Sweating in here. We just want to keep up the calorie burn for you. <laughs> no, we actually, um, in order, I work with a lot of peak performance athletes and some great, uh, you know, some of the greatest athletes in history and, and Olympic athletes. And so I got turned on to the people that do measurements. And so on stage, I wear this. $60,000 monitor. It's the most sophisticated and it monitors heart rate variability and calories. And then they come and check my cortisol in between. And so I burn 11,300 calories on average in one day on stage. I'm on stage for 12 hours. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm going up and down. I'm up inside the stadium. I don't just stand on the stage to keep people yeah. fully involved. But even before I get on the stage, I start burning. The mind burns more calories than anything else. And then I jump a thousand times on average because I'm cranking with this audience. And that's an average day. And I weigh 282 pounds. So they're explaining to me every time you come down, it's four times your body weight. So it's a thousand pounds times a thousand jumps. It's a million pounds of pressure on my body. So they show me my bone density when they measure and they go, these are humans. These are the greatest <laughs> athletes in the world. This is something we've never measured before. It's my bone density from the demands for 42 years of doing that. Just it's pretty wild. If you're running and you can't speak any longer to your friend, it's because your lactate's at level four or above. Yeah. I'm speaking at a level of 18 lactate. So this body of mine, I train it with a level of intensity you can't imagine. I train it goes everywhere, but I have cryotherapy, hyperbaric oxygen, lasers. I mean, I do everything because I'm almost 60 years old and I'm doing the things that, you know, 25-year-olds were doing. Yeah. So, uh, but it's fun. It's fun to see what the body is capable of because when your body's strong, your mind's strong. There's a direct connection. If you, it's hard to have a strong mind when your body's not taken care of. These events that you've done for so many years, do you still enjoy doing them just oh, as much as you? I wouldn't do it unless I did. I don't have to. Fortunately, I don't do have to. Do you get the same amount of juice out of them? That, Absolutely. Yeah? Maybe more because you know, I keep growing. I, my capacity and my ability and and the size, you know, I just, you know, did one in Germany for 35,000 people in a football stadium, you know, it's just, I mean, I started, you know, with, I had my very first seminar I did for free. I advertised, I just wanted to help people advertise everything else that was in Los Angeles. I rented this big room. I thought there'd be 500 people and seven people showed up for free and they were spread out around the room. I had a pole mouth down front and I, and I gave them like you know, five hours before people pounding on it to get them through there. But, but no, I'm, I'm even more driven today than when I started. I love it more today than even when I started. Tony, you have a documentary on Netflix. 
that I absolutely love. I must have seen it about 15 times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what do you mean by I am not your guru? What are you trying to say there? Uh, it's just like I'm not here. I'm not, I don't believe I'm everybody's teacher or I've got it all handled, but I've spent 42 years looking for answers. So when I was growing up, um, you know, they called me a motivator. They called me a guru. And I hated those terms because it's, I'm not better than anybody else. And I thought, who's influenced my life? I'm an athlete, so coaches did. And I was actually much better athlete than some of my coaches, but they still were invaluable to me because they saw what I couldn't see because I was in the forest. I was on the court, right? They were outside of it. And so that's why I started to call myself a coach, not a guru. And also because I want people to know it, there's nobody broken. You don't need to be fixed. You might have some behaviors that don't work. You might have some habits. You might have some thinking habits, emotional habits. And we're the only humans, the only creatures that should say on the planet that can think a thought and get ourselves angry. Think a thought and get worried. Think a thought and get excited. Think a thought and feel grateful. Think a thought and be pissed off. And most of us just don't know how to run the show. And so what I try to do, that, that documentary is a, kind of a two-hour summary of a six-day seminar I do uh, called Date with Destiny. Uh, but you get to see somebody who's suicidal. There are many people, like in a room of, you know, two, 3,000 people, there's always a half dozen people, a dozen people are suicidal. So there's a right. woman there that was um, in this cult down in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember her? Yeah. I just saw her. It was just in Brazil. Yeah, just in Rio, literally a week ago. And that was, what, five years ago that film was made. Right. And she has written a book. She's gotten out of the cult. She's got other people out of the cult. She's become a healer. And she's, I'm just really, really proud of her. So seeing the change last, because most people think if you're going to change it that fast, first of all, they don't think it's possible. But it is. You know, you get upset that fast. You get wired that fast. You get conditioned that fast. But to see five and ten years later that people's lives are changed, it's important for people to see so they know that you really can produce change in a moment that is lasting. I really think that that, that, that that kind of stuff really resonates with me because it hits deep into my emotion. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, oh, I, and, and I can see it with you. It's almost like you feel their pain. I do. In that particular time with them. Yes. It's just, it's just it's, it's astonishing, genuinely. Well, you know, it's interesting. The guy who made that film, I didn't want to make the film. I had a gentleman who's a, just a brilliant documentarian. I'd seen many of his films. He'd one on Metallica, and he did one where the work took 10 years, and he freed three men that were in jail for murder that they didn't commit. Um, and so if I'd done that, I'd be out of my mind. I met him at a party, and he wasn't very happy. And so I invited him to date with Destiny just as a guest because I just felt the man who was a good man and needed help and changed him completely. So he put, pursued me for five years to make that film. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, but you got to let me do whatever I want. And so when I did that intervention, and then I, you know, I'm on stage, I give my all, but I feel what they feel. And I went backstage, and I cry, and, you know, it's tears of grace, you know, that, you know, that God comes through you in the right moments. Uh, and then, you know, he captured that. So I think it also showed people who I am. Because sometimes you see this guy on stage and with all this intensity, and that's what's required. But I'm obviously a multidimensional human like all humans, you know. A lot of people that, that don't know you, haven't been to an event, will have, will have an opinion. Yes, of uh, and, and that's a completely different opinion to all of us that have been to events <laughs> because we think completely differently. And some of, us, some of us need to be in that environment. We need to kind of like be, be sucked into that environment to, to, to kind of like let our whole body feel everything rather than, rather than the content on its own. Yeah, it's also just immersion. Like it's like uh, I write books and I'm proud of them. They're successful, but... I always tell people, you can read about swimming or you can go swimming, yeah. you know? And there's nothing like immersion. If you want to learn Italian, and, you know, most people go to school, high school, college, and, you know, a few years later, they can't speak the language because they learn a little bit at a time. But if I took you and put you in Italy, put you in Rome and said, I'll pick you up in four months, 
with no teacher, you're going to learn the language because you're immersed. And so I'm a big believer in immersion as the way to master something as opposed to dabbling and learning a little bit here and there. Now, you've written lots of books. Yes. I, I wrote a book, and oh. it is a really, really tough process to write your first book. It's like there's a lot that goes into it, and I think a lot Every of Every book is a tough process. <laughs> this is your first book. I'm warning you. Do you remember writing, do you remember writing your first book? Obviously, you do. 23 years old. I was going for it. Yeah, no, it was called Unlimited Power, and I worked around the clock on that thing. Uh, I didn't write a book for almost 20 years because... So few people in America read anymore. You know, they buy books, but they read. I don't just need to sell something. I want their life to change. But when 2008 happened in the world economic crisis, I've worked with Paul Tudor Jones, one of the top 10 financial traders in the history of the world, for 24 years. He hasn't lost money in his category in 24 years. Almost nobody does that. So I thought, what if I interviewed 50 of the smartest people in the world? You know, what I got Ray Dalio and Carl Icahn and Warren Buffett and Paul Tudor. And, and so I did that. And, and I learned so much by modeling, but I only wrote the book because I was so fed up with people being taken advantage of. You know, it's a small number of people that almost blew up the world economy, and we rewarded them by giving them more of our money, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So when no one else did anything, I thought I'll at least educate the public, and I'm proud of what I've been able to do in that area. Are you considering coming back to the Middle East a bit more frequently or more often? I, I think so. Um, uh, I've had the you know privilege of getting meat and and become friendly with some of the leadership of this country. And um, I think uh, that's why I'm back again. I was here for the, the world. Uh, I was here for the CEO conference. I was here for the government conference mm -hmm. back in February. And I'm here now for an event while I'm here for the general public, which I'm really excited right. about. Well, listen, I was talking to a couple of friends yesterday saying that there's a chance we might get together today. And they were saying, why is he going to the UAE? We want him to come here, places like Egypt, Jordan, just the surrounding country. I do, come do, you have, <laughs> do you have any thoughts of going there for other events as well? I, I've just, I did a program in Egypt, and okay. uh, the King of Jordan is a friend, so he's kind of invited me to come there. But there's only so many days in the year, so right. that's the only thing. <laughs> I promised my wife I was going to put balance in my schedule. I, I don't think I've kept that promise very well. <laughs> but uh, I'm open anywhere where there are promoters where I can reach a, a mass number of people. It's really coming down to coming to places where I can meet a large number of people because I just want to have the impact. That's what it's about for me. High Waters. You were nicknamed High Waters or High Water when you were a kid? <laughs> well, when I was, believe it or not, what when I was that? a sophomore in high school, which is, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, rather, uh, I grew literally 10 inches in a year. I was five foot one, 1.5 meters, and now I'm almost two meters, right? So I'm six, seven. I tell people the difference is personal growth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I had a tumor. I had a tumor in my pituitary gland, in my brain, and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 31 years old because I'm a helicopter pilot as well. And you have to renew your license, and you have to do that. You have to get a, you know, a full medical. And this doctor just saw the size of my body and didn't tell me and called me one day and said, it's an emergency, I got to speak to you. And I'm like, what? I'm healthy as a horse. He said, no. You have a tumor in your brain. I said, what? I said, there's no side effects. How could that be? He goes, I'm telling you, I did tests on you. I have a huge amount of growth hormone. I said, well, how could you tell? <laughs> He's hands, he's six by 16 feet, you know, that kind of thing. But he said, uh, but I went in and I did the scan and I did. And it, what's interesting is I had this huge tumor. It forced my pituitary to have this explosion of growth hormone. So I went from 5'1", 1.5 to 2 meters like that. And then I haven't grown anymore, fortunately. And then the threat is that your heart valves or something open up. And they were afraid I was going to die from that. And that was when I'm 31. I'm going to be 60 in a few months. So I've done quite okay in spite of that. Now, the first person wanted to cut me. I wouldn't do that. The next person wanted to drug me. And I went through about 12 doctors before one of them said, dude, you get about $1,500 with the growth hormone the bodybuilders would pay for. <laughs> so it's part of why my body can recover from the insane schedule that I demand on. Because if you think about it, the first day of a weekend program, I do 16 to 18 miles on stage. And the third day, I'm on from 8 in the morning till 2 a.m. with one one-hour break. No one leaves. And I do on that day 26 to 28 miles. So it's like an ultra marathon in a weekend, wow. you know, and I do that constantly. 
What's next for Tony Robbins? What else are you so looking to achieve that. and accomplish after everything that you've done? Well, I'm building an AI right now, one of the top companies in the world. I'm really excited about it. And that's another reason I'm here to talk with members of your organization, your governments here, that uh, you guys have an enormous AI program here. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also, so I'm excited about it because I want to be able to help coach tens of millions of people simultaneously, individually, but real AI, not just a script. There's a lot of bots out there. What sure. we're building is really real. I'm working with the top companies out there. I'm involved in stem cells and regenerative medicine. You know, I went through one of the reasons I've sweat like this. I still have this mercury poisoning. And it just came from eating fish and salad, but I had swordfish and tuna. And they absorb all the younger fish's uh, mercury. Mm. And so they measure one to zero to five. I went to 123. So I'm still detoxifying now the body. But it brought me to regenerative medicine. I tore a rotator cuff. And they said, yeah. it's going to be six months to recover. And I was like, I don't have six months. And I got involved in stem cells. And I went down and got the cord stem cells. They're four days old. And not fetal, but cord. And those cords are normally thrown away. And I did it outside the country in the U.S. And I was healed within three days. And my arm is absolutely perfect. There's no healing process to go through. I mean, it's mind-boggling. So I have a stem cell company as well now. And I'm writing a new book on life force. And it's all the cutting edge of regenerative medicine. I spoke at, the, believe it or not, the, the Pope puts on a conference now for stem cells, a regenerative health conference. I was the cleanup speaker, so I got to meet the greatest doctors in the world, the breakthroughs in cancer, and there are things coming right now that would sound like magic to you. When I say coming, I don't mean 10 or 20 years. I mean in the next 24 to 36 months. In America, there are tools that are in phase two and phase three trials right now. Phase one is safety, phase two is efficacy, phase three is efficacy at scale. So. One of those, for example, is for pancreatic cancer, and it's a single injection that in phase two trials is 92% effective. You know anything about cancer and pancreatic cancer, they basically send you home to die. So there's some things that I want to get out to the world, like I did in the financial world, bringing the best of the best in medicine around the world to show people what they can do. Because I get a call at least once a week from someone who's got cancer or a member of their family does, and I really want people to know what the new answers are. What we have dealt with up until now is the best we have, but it's pretty barbaric. It's burn it out, right? it's radiated out, it's you know chemotherapy. Um, but there are some tools that are coming now that are so pinpoint, so amazing, and they're not decades ahead. They're a few years ahead. Okay, one last question for you. Sure. Um, I, I work here with an organization called the Global Sustainability Network, and we work with taking children out of child slave labor. Yes. Which is very similar uh, to the stuff you work with, Operation Underground Railroad. Underground Railroad, yes. And uh, I heard you talk about it. Oh, maybe at London or Rotterdam or wherever it was, maybe maybe seven or eight years ago. Yes, and it obviously really touched me. Yes. You've done you've done a lot for that, and obviously Russell Brunson's now involved in it yes, too. Yes. Um, tell tell me, you must get so many people with charitable ideas and, uh, and and offers for you to get involved with. How how did that become the one that you really got behind? Well, I'm actually, it's one of the things I'm behind. I have about a dozen really important things to me. Feeding people is most important to me. Yeah. Providing fresh water. I do that in India for a quarter of a million people a day. Personally, I'm going to get that to a million people in the next few years. Wow. It's just about infrastructure. Uh, freeing, you know, boys and girls, women, or about 80% of them. I mean, there's a new child abducted every 30 seconds. There's 6 million people in slavery around the world, children in slavery, sexual slavery. Uh, we've saved about 3,800 just in the last couple of years. I've gone on the operations myself undercover. Um, but well, I work with Underground Railroad because they're former SEAL Team 6, CIA, FBI, and we teach the local government what to do to capture these people. So it's not just solve, save some kids right now, but showing them what to do for the future. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm involved with so many different things. And my answer is if I think it's it's core to humanity that I'm interested. Food is, air is, you know, I've planted 10 million trees in the last year and a half, 
you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have my own private jet, but I'm conscious of that. So I was like, how many trees does my whole lifestyle take? It's about 3,000 trees. So I said, if I don't want to plant, you know, 10 million, I said, screw it, I'll plant 100 million. So I planted 10 million already. I'm on course to do the 100 million, just like feeding a billion people. So it's, it's the things that matter. That's what God's in. But I do things spontaneously. I was in San Francisco, and I read in the newspaper that while I'm there, I was there to see Mark Benioff. And I see that the, the, the toughest part of San Francisco is called the Tenderloin District, and there's these nuns there that feed the poorest of the poor, and they're being evicted. And, you know, it's the richest, one of the richest cities in the world. More billionaires there, tech billionaires than anyone. No one's doing anything. So I just, I went over, knocked on the door, introduced myself, found out who the person was that was you know, evicting him, called him up and said, look, I'm, a, I'm an owner too. You have the right to evict anybody, but do you really want to be the hated man, hated the man in San Francisco? I said, why don't you let him stay nine months? I'll get him out within nine months. I'll pay you the additional rent. And I did. And then, you know, the, the nuns are like, well, they're looking for a place to lease. And all of a sudden, I get a call from the realtor. He goes, they're looking for a place to buy. And I called the nuns and said, do you have some money I don't know about? They go, God will provide. As they stare at me. <laughs> so I bought, them a, I bought them a place there, you know. And then and my friend Mark Benioff then bought them a home to, to live in. So, you know, cool. I, I do things spontaneously. I love those things as well. But, I mean, life, the secret to living is giving. I know it sounds corny, but I, I had a tough time in my life. I remember I was driving on the street in this 1968 Volkswagen. I was working so hard. And. I was so frustrated. Things weren't going the way I thought they should. And I was like, what's wrong? And then I pulled it to the side. And I still have today this written journal. I wrote, the secret to living is giving. I started to cry because I lost the giving mode. I was just, I got into the business mode. Mm. And to me, like I said, business is a spiritual game. If you're focused on giving, if you're doing more for your client or customer than anybody else, you will dominate. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. And that's what I've been able to do with, you know, my 50 plus companies. I'm so really excited and thrilled that Tony actually responded to our message. I feel a little giddy here, like a little kid. But. I was touched by it, guys. It was that was so cool. When we, when we sent the video across to you, we were, what did we say? He's like, he's never gonna, he's never gonna respond to that. And you did. We are so made up. You have no idea how delighted we are. Genuinely, it's been my pleasure to be here with you. Guys. Well, we're absolutely honored. And uh, one last question: If you yes. come back to Dubai, would you come visit us again? Of course, I will. Thank you, Tony. Thank, Thank you so much, Tony. Thank I really so appreciate much. it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen what a wonderful interview and such a great time we hope you enjoyed it make sure you check us out next time until then we'll see you later sorry Mar, as we think back on what uh, what that interview just was for us what what highlight what was your biggest highlight my biggest highlight was talking about his his childhood growing up not knowing who his father is or having four different fathers being abused by his mother who was an alcoholic but being able to alone by himself overcome all of those issues and challenges mm. and rise to the point that he is today but but what about what about when he was talking about the i'm not your guru the movie right it took five years the guy pursued him for five years to make it absolutely and he's yeah. still in touch with a lady that was from that religious cult some five years later further on it took us about five minutes <laughs> <laughs> that was epic so for those of you that enjoyed that, please like and subscribe. It's always important that my content gets shared with other people as well. So really take time to do that. But also a massive thank you to Omar. And uh, why don't we just get him hooked up with you guys as well so you can start enjoying his content too. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with Omar, okay, you'll be able to find him in the show notes. I'll talk to you soon.